Hey guys, Aaron Smith here. Welcome to the Upper Room Dallas podcast. I'm so excited that you're tuning in. This weekend I preached a message that I titled The Waking of the Bride. And I feel in this hour there's a prophetic alarm that is going off for the church in the West to awaken to what the Spirit is saying in this hour, uh, both locally and globally. And so I pray as you listen to this message that you are encouraged. I pray that it uh, edifies you, it builds your faith, and it gives you hunger for Jesus, for who He is, for what He's saying in this hour. Uh, I love you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Upper Room Podcast. Um, Thank you. If you'd open your Bibles to Matthew 25, honored to be here this morning. Um, I want to pray right out of the gates, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your grace. Lord, you told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. So I confess this morning, Lord, that your grace is sufficient for me, Lord. Your grace is enough. Lord, not your grace and my gift. Not your grace and my revelation, Lord. Lord, your grace and your grace alone is enough. And I just declare that this morning, Lord, we would encounter your grace. Lord, would you open our ears to hear what you're saying in this hour, Lord? Lord, would you use me uh, simply as a voice for you? Lord, I thank you that you're the message that your word, Lord, will speak for itself and that your spirit, Lord, would impart something deep into our spirit this morning. But Lord, I just declare, here I am. Lord, your servant, here's my yes. So give us ears to hear this morning. Lord, and we all lean into your grace. I don't know what you're carrying this morning, but his grace is enough. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, I want to say it was an awesome weekend for us. If you do not know, on Friday, we released a Moments album, Moments 12 in Espanol. And so it's our first Moments album in Spanish. Um, if you were a part of that uh, album, I'm calling it an album, but would you stand? I know the Gamboas had a big part. If you, anybody in the room that was part of that album? Nobody in the room was a part of the Spanish Moments album? Wow. Well, if you have not listened to it, go listen to it. It is amazing. Uh, the Millers are currently on their way back from Argentina. They were with Tomo Tulagar at their conference. It's awesome, amazing. And uh, God is moving in the Latino community, and we want to be a part of it. Come on, we want to be a part of it. If God is moving on the earth, we want to be a part of it. And uh, so it's just so awesome to get to partner with that, to release that. If you haven't heard that album, go uh, listen to it. And then uh, the Lord said... His words, not mine. He said, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. That's what he said. And so the primary activity in God's house is meant to be prayer. And before I jump into the word, I want to pray for Israel. Um, If you are at all acquainted with anything relevant happening on the earth, you know what has been happening in Israel over the last uh, seven days, the last week. And I want to say this. Uh, Israel is one of the greatest controversies on the globe. If you don't believe me, go put on your social media after this service, God loves Israel. 
and you will believe me. It is one of the greatest controversies right now on the globe. And saying that you stand with Israel does not mean that you're against Palestine. It means you simply are acquainted with God's heart for Israel. And the Bible is filled with a narrative that Israel is God's chosen people. Let me say it like this. You cannot say you love the God of Israel and not love Israel. He is the Jews promised Messiah. And I believe one of the greatest deceptions in the West is for us to strip Jesus of his culture and create a Jesus in our culture. But Jesus is a Jewish man. And I believe that in the coming days and in the end times, that will be one of the most controversial statements to say, Jesus, the Jew. He is a Jewish man and his heart is for Israel. And let me tell you, my grandfather-in-law is a first generation Messianic Jew. What does that mean? He was raised Orthodox. And then he had the revelation that Jesus was, is the Messiah, and he gave his life to Jesus. And he said one of the first things that opened his heart to Jesus when he read in Matthew that Jesus was Jewish. He was raised Orthodox, and he didn't even know that Jesus was a Jewish man. And I want to tell you that Jesus is Jewish. And uh, I believe it's one of the things God is waking the West up to in this hour. And so I wanted to take a moment and I want to pray for the conflict that's happening in the Middle East. Man, we love Palestine. We love people. And Palestine comes from the lineage of Ishmael. And if you do not know, go read the context in Genesis when Abraham tells Hagar and Ishmael to leave. God comes and blesses Ishmael and says, I will make you a great nation. And if you do not know, the underground church in Iran right now is the fastest growing church in the world. And it's from the line of Ishmael. Ishmael is coming to the gospel. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And um, I want to take a moment. And, and again, the Lord said, my house will be a house of prayer. And before we jump into the word, I want us to pray together. And so I've asked Joe Galindo, who's an, an elder in the house, to come and pray. And as he comes, I want to share this, that uh, the Millers are really going to lead a response for us when they return. Uh, what does it look like for our house to respond? And they're going to lead that out. But I want us to pray together. So would you stand with me? Can we just take a moment, get active in the spirit and, and partner with the Lord as we pray? Thank you, Aaron. We're going to pray the word. I'm going to pray the word, encourage you to think the word as we pray the word so that we can live out the word and that the word can go forth. We know that Isaiah 55 talks about just as the rain comes and as the snow falls, the Lord says, so my word will have its effect. It will not return void. It will have its effect. So, Lord, we want to come this very moment, and I'll reference the scriptures as I pray, and we're praying the word. Lord, from Isaiah 53, the question is asked, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Father in heaven, we are grateful that right now the arm of you is being revealed in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of the war, in the midst of, of death and anger and hate and misunderstanding. Lord, you are revealing your arm. And we pray that, that all We'll see. We've got nations that are watching this, Lord. We've got nations that are involved in this. And we pray that the arm of you will be seen, that the arm of you, that people will be struck by the arm of you, the reality of you, Palestinians, Jews, Christians who need to be restruck with the reality of you. Lord, we, we cry out for that. And we thank you that you are a gracious 
uh, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. So we count on that, that in the midst of people repeating that, which is, which is uh, uh, tragic, tragic and evil, Lord, that you are gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, and that that will be manifested there in Israel in the heart of this, of this war. And Lord, we pray the word on this. There from Isaiah 9, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Lord, that your light will shine there like never before. This is an unprecedented time. That the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And you, Lord, shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. There will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. In the midst of this, Lord, you bring who you are to the world not who they, who the world is, not who the world, the flesh, and the devil is, Lord. And then that this will be understood like never before. Isaiah wrote, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. What we declare now is a child has been born to us, a son has been given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name is... Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government and of his peace. And we pray that right now. There will be no end to the increase of your government. That people will stop and say, who is the Lord? It's the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is Yeshua, Savior, and Deliverance. And on the throne... Of David and over his kingdom, he will establish it to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Lord, may your zeal, may your passion, may your love accomplish what the purposes are that are written throughout this word of yours, Lord. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and may the salvations be endless that come forth because they see the light of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. So all of this we bring before you, Father in heaven, Jesus, our Messiah and Holy Spirit. Uh, have your way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in Jesus name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to welcome everyone in Overflow. We love you. Thank you for joining us this morning online. We love you as well. Um, <clears throat> all right, Matthew 25. I wanted you to open up to Matthew 25. Um, I feel like I have a word this morning for us. I want to give a disclaimer. Uh, I may step on a couple of your toes, and I hope you're okay with that. Um, for me, I want a theology that c confronts me, not comforts me. I want a theology that causes me to grow and mature. I'll say it like this. When I read the Bible, I'm not reading the scriptures uh, to defend what I believe or what I've been taught. I'm reading the scriptures for it to cut me and mature me and to show me where I need to mature into the likeness of Jesus. 
Um, and oftentimes, as I read scripture, I realize there's things that I have to unlearn because I was taught things that were maybe misinterpretations of scripture. But when I read it for myself, I actually realized, wow, this says something different than what I was taught. But I want to be a student of the word. I want to be a student of the Lord. And um, I want to talk to you this morning underneath the subject titled The Waking Bride. The Waking Bride. Uh, I feel as if there is prophetically right now an alarm going off in the spirit that is an alarm to wake up the church in the West. There's an alarm going off and it's a wake up to the greater narrative of what is happening on the earth. It is to wake up to the narrative of what God wants to attach us to, especially being a house of prayer where God will oftentimes share his burdens in his heart. You have to be awake. You can't be asleep in, in the faith. And, and I believe that there is an alarm going off. Wake up, church in the West. And the church in the West is beautiful as the bride of Christ, but we do not make up the bride of Christ in its fullest. You would have to have the church in the West partnered with the church in the East to make up the full bride of Christ. And let me tell you something. The church in the East and the church in the West are waking up to completely two completely different realities. Right now. And uh, it never fails. Anything happens on the earth, whether it's a biblical context or not. Here come the Christian influencers on social media. What that term even is, I don't know. But that's what we call them with so many opinions. And I believe that actually the Lord is going to put his authority and his anointing on those who are slow to speak and quick to listen. Who are quick to get on their knees and come to the place of prayer and open their ears and say, Lord, what are you saying in this hour? I want to jump on social media and give my opinions and my thoughts and all of these things. I want to come into your house and to partner with you in prayer. I want to share in your burden and I I want to say what you are saying. Scripture says that Jesus only said what he heard the father say. That means he was quick to listen and slow to speak. And in Matthew 24, you have the disciples coming to Jesus and they're telling Jesus, Jesus, what will be the sign of the times? They're alone with Jesus, Scripture says in Matthew 24. And they're saying, Jesus, what, what will be the signs? What will happen? How will we know it is the hour? How will we know that it is the end times? Let me tell you, since that day, uh, the believers in Christ have been believing that we're in the end times. And I heard someone say this, if it's not today, it'll be tomorrow. Like, that is so true. If it's not today, it'll be tomorrow. It's a great way to live. Uh, But they come to Jesus and they say, what will be the signs of the times? And Jesus is going to say a lot of wild things. And my perspective of Matthew 24 is it's 30,000 feet in the air. And he begins to say that there will be wars. There will be rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes in various places. The love of many will grow cold. Deception will run wild. Uh, Many will fall away from the faith. He's saying all of these things that are are 30,000 feet in the air. But I believe when it gets to Matthew 25, he begins to shift and bring it down to ground level. And there are practical things in Matthew 25 that the believer, the individual believer can lay hold of, but also the body of Christ can lay hold of and learn from. And it actually gives us practicals of what to do. And I want to look at Matthew 25. And I believe that there are a handful of things that the Lord has spoken to me that I... I want to unpack in this, in this parable. So Matthew 25 and verse 1, it says this. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. 
Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Everybody say no oil. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom was delayed, everybody say delayed. They all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all of those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, everybody say no. no, lest there should be not enough for us and for you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and he said, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Uh, I want to talk to you about getting oil, leaning into the delay, and protecting your first love. Getting oil, leaning into the delay, and protecting first love. Uh, Before I do, um, the first time I ever heard someone preach on Matthew 25 and the parable of the 10 virgins, I was a student in high school. And uh, I was that student, that freshman student, uh, sitting in the seats when my youth pastor got up and said, I want to talk to you about the 10 virgins that me and my buddies. <laughs> and we started giggling. And I'm just like, man, as a youth pastor, you, you don't ever preach this, this text. Or if you do, you change you change the term a virgin to something else because the teenagers won't let you finish. They won't even hear your point after that. It's just the immaturity of a teenage boy. His mind instantly goes somewhere else. Um, but it's very unique the term would use the, the Lord the term the Lord uses there, virgin. Virgin, because let me uh, let me tell you what a virgin is. <laughs> a virgin is someone who's kept themselves. They've fought for purity. They're not in compromise. So Jesus is going to speak to the disciples. Again, he has them in public and he's going to say, the kingdom of heaven is likened to 10 virgins, 10 people who are not in compromise, 10 people who have consecrated themselves, 10 people who have fought for purity, 10 people. Let me say it this way. This is not a parable of the saved and the unsaved. This is not a parable of the lost and the church. This is Jesus coming to the disciples and saying there were 10 who consecrated themselves. Yet at the end of the story, 50% of the consecrated ones aren't going to make it in the door. As a believer, I have to lead into this text and go, God, what are you saying? You're saying on the outside, everything looked good with these 10, but on the inside, half of them missed it. On the inside, half of them were more concerned with the outside than what you were actually doing on the inside. And Jesus is going to look at half of them, 50%, and say, you knew me, but I didn't know you. In Matthew 24, Jesus tells the disciples in that hour, many will fall away. Many. That, That breaks my heart and brings tears to my eyes in the place of prayer. Many will fall away. That means you can look to the left and to the right. And statistically, 
of what many means, one of them will fall away. But I believe in this parable, there are some very crucial things for the believer to lay hold of. And the first one I want to talk about is getting oil. It says now in verse two, now five of them were wise and five were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps and they took no oil with them. Now, it doesn't say they didn't have oil. It says they didn't take oil. Uh, The NLT version says uh, the wise took extra oil and the foolish didn't take enough. So it doesn't say they didn't have oil. It says they didn't take oil. Now, let me tell you a story and then I'll unpack what I mean by that. Uh, in 2016, I got a call from Axel Senor. Axel is the student pastor here. I love Axel. He was my college roommate uh, in school. And he said, let's go camping. Denver, Colorado. St. Mary's Glacier. It was in the beginning of November. And I said, I'm down. Let's go. And so we drive to Denver. Uh, there was five of us that drew, drove to Denver. And we get to the foot of the mountain, and we're going to hike about 30 minutes up to this glacier. And as we're driving up to the parking lot, it's just, it's just like blizzarding, like there's just snow coming down. And I'm thinking, are we idiots for what we're about to do? And we get to the foot of the mountain, we get out of the car. And when I get out of the car, I look, and there's three of our group of five, and they're zipping up their jackets, putting on their beanies. They're like lacing their boots up. And I'm doing the same thing. So I'm like, all right. Well, I turn around and number five of our group, he's zipping up his jacket, but he has on shorts and tevas. Is that what the sandals are called, tevas? And, and we're looking at him and we're like, my dude, we're in a blizzard about to hike up the mountain. And he goes, yeah, these are all I brought. And I'm like, why did you, where are your boots? And he was like, well, I just got these and I thought they'd be a vibe for the mountain. And I'm like, bro, you are a vibe. You know, I'm looking at him. And he's like, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I've camped before. And I'm like, all right. So we start hiking 30 minutes up the trail. And uh, as we're getting closer and closer to the foot of the glacier where we're going to camp, make camp and build a fire, literally like cavemen in the middle of the, of the mountains, uh, we're noticing, you know, right, the, the snow is starting to land on rocks to where it's covering the gravel, the ground, the rocks, and it's just snow. And we're moving significantly faster than number five on our team. And uh, as we get to the foot of where we're going to make camp, we look back and we realize that number five is a ways behind. And it's starting to get dark and we hear this, you guys, help. And so we yell back, what happened? And he begins to yell at us, my foot is stuck. He had stepped on snow and didn't realize that actually because the snow was covering, there was a hole and his foot slid in between two rocks. So he is in sandals and his foot is buried in snow. And so half of us stay to make camp and the other half go to help him. And it takes us about 15 minutes to uh, get him out of, uh, get his foot dug out. Needless to say, that night was probably the most miserable night of his life. He slept by the fire. He was shaking. He was cold. And that night we asked him, why do you not have boots? And he said, no, I have boots. I just really liked my, my tefas. <laughs> so he had what he needed, but he didn't prioritize it. He had what he needed, but he didn't prioritize it. You see in the passage, it doesn't say they didn't have oil. It says they didn't take oil. 
They did not prioritize intimacy with God. They did not prioritize with the presence. I wrote some things down of what that looks like. That looks like they had lamps, but they did not have oil. They had structure, but they did not have the spirit. They had platforms, but they did not have the presence. They had ministries, but they had no intimacy. They did not prioritize what mattered the most. They didn't prioritize. What I love about the Millers, the reason I've rooted myself in this house is because the Millers have taught me there's another way to ministry. That when he comes, you forsake everything. I had never seen that before. I thought it was your agenda and the leadership and wisdom of man. And then I found two leaders who said, no, 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 Aaron. The presence is everything. The presence is everything. I don't want a platform and not the presence. I don't want a ministry and not the man. I don't want to be able to give a prophetic word, but I have no intimacy with him in secret. It says they did not take oil. They didn't prioritize it. And I want to ask you in this hour, how are you prioritizing oil? I heard a friend of mine say this. He said, preaching doesn't help me in my marriage. And it struck me to the core. But oil does. But oil does. How are you prioritizing oil? 50% of them didn't prioritize oil. But I said this to the Lord, or I felt the Lord ask me, rather. I heard him say, uh, Aaron, what made the five foolish fools? And I said, well, Lord, they didn't take oil. And I felt the Lord say, no, 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 that's not what made them fools. And then I started thinking about the parable of the, of the, of the laborers. And, and if you take that same principle, the 11th hour workers get paid the same wage as those who had been there all day. It wasn't that they didn't have oil. It was where they thought they could get oil that made them fools. Later in the passage, they're going to look to the five wise and they're going to say, you give us some of your oil. You give us some of your oil. They thought they could get oil from people. They thought they could get oil somewhere that they could not get oil. What made them fools was they where they thought they could get oil. I want to tell you, if you're serving in the prayer room, this is no longer you're coming in. It's you're going out. What do I mean by that? If you're bothered by... Uh, TWI and fuel and the prayer model and some of the tools that we talk about to help us in corporate, the corporate place of prayer, I would probably tell you that one of the front runners and the reason why is because you have forsaken intimacy and you have made this place your place of intimacy. But listen, the corporate is not your public, is not your private place of prayer. Jesus said, but you, when you pray, go shut the door in your father who is in secret. Let me tell you, the more I pray in public, it requires me to get alone with God. Otherwise, I will buy into the deception that this is my intimacy and this is where I get oil. But you don't get oil in public. You get oil in private. You get oil when you get alone with God. You get, you get oil when you shut the door and you say, Jesus, this is about my intimacy with you. It was where they thought they could get oil that made them fools. Listen, you can come to every prayer set. You can go to every Bible study. You can listen to every podcast. You can read every book. And that doesn't mean you're getting oil. It does not mean you're getting oil. One of the most profound moments of prayer for me uh, this was a few years ago. We were at a conference, Sarah Beth and I, and there was a mama in the faith that we've just looked up to years and we see her life and we go, man, she knows God. And we didn't personally know her, but uh, God was moving in this, in this uh, 
service. And we said, let's go ask her to pray for us. And we go up to this mama in the faith and we say, would you, would you mind praying for us? And she said, of course. She said, get down on your knees. And so we got down on our knees. She got down on her knees in front of us. She laid hands on us. And for five minutes, she prayed two words. What were the two words she prayed, Sir Beth? Hide them. Hide them. For five minutes, hide them. She starts weeping. Hide them. Hide them. And there was something deposited in my spirit that day where I realized it's better to abide in the shadow of his wing than to thrive with influence. It concerns me how many people are speaking for the Lord. But then you get around them and you go, where's the oil in your life? When was the last time you sat with them alone? When was the last time you said, Lord, I'm not in the word for a sermon. I'm in the word for this to cut me, to lead me. We need oil. You know, if you're listening to me talk and you go, what is oil? The Greek word that's there for oil means this. It means what comes from the press. It would be the olive, the analogy of the olive that goes through the press and the press of the olive produces oil. Let me tell you, it's very significant that at the end of the parable, Jesus looks at them and he says, I don't know you. Why are they knocking on the door? Because they know him. They know him. But the problem was he didn't know them. How does Jesus know you? What I have learned is that when I come to the Lord in secret, there is always a temptation to put my best foot forward. But when I put my worst foot forward, that's when he knows me. When I say, God, here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I'm hurting. Here's where my marriage feels broken. Here's where I feel weak as a father. Here's where I'm wrestling with a revelation of you. Here's the brokenness in my life, Jesus, but I recognize that only you can touch it. Only you can give me a revelation that will sustain me. And in that moment, Jesus leans in. He smells faith. And he knows you. It's the press that brings intimacy. It's getting oil. Let's keep going. They took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. You know, Jesus is going to tell three parables on the tail end of Matthew 24. And all three of those parables are going to have a major theme of delay. He's, going to be, he's talking about the end time narrative. And then he says, let me tell you three parables. All three of them have a major theme of delay. In other words, Jesus speaks to the delay. He tells the disciples, it's going to feel like I'm not coming. It's going to feel like I'm not coming. There will be a delay. It will feel like I'm not coming. Um, if you're married in the room, maybe you can relate to what I'm about to tell you, but 
It never fails when my wife tells me, can you pull over to the grocery store and let me run in for one thing? That is not just one thing. She comes out with not just a basket, but maybe two. And, the, you know, the worker's helping her push it. And I'm like, what happened to the one thing? And uh, when, uh, anytime that ever happens, I pull my car, you know, to the parking spot. And I'm sitting there. And um, in the moment to where my wife begins to linger in the grocery store, I have two options. Number one, I can check out, pull up my phone, start to swipe. And I'm just in my own mindless space. Number two, I can be aware of the environment that is around me. And the environment that is around me is I have a one-year-old and I have an almost three-year-old. And so anytime there is delay and they're just sitting in the car, next come screams, cries, the eagerness to get out of the car seat, the I'm hungry, I want this song, I want a show. And all of a sudden, I am aware of the, of the eagerness for mom to get out of the store. And when I'm aware of what's around me, it provokes me to pick up my phone and to call Sir Beth and say, what is taking so long? And she goes, oh, yeah, 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 I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And here she comes. Let me tell you, I feel like in this hour, the church in the West is not aware of the surroundings around us and we're checked out on our phone. In the delay, you know, the delay is meant to provoke desire. It's meant to provoke desire. But if you check out in the midst of delay, well, he's not coming. We've been hearing for hundreds of years. We've been hearing season after season that he's coming. Oh, I know. We're in the end times, brother. Yeah, I get it. Yep, earthquakes in various places. And you begin to check out and you disassociate yourself from the narrative of what's happening around you instead of leaning in and realizing the delay is meant to provoke desire for him to come. We have to lean into the delay. He spoke to it. You know, one of the key themes of following Jesus is you begin to realize that God does nothing according to man's timing. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but God is on his own time clock. He is on his own timetable. He is not concerned with time as we oftentimes are. And, you know, scripture says the spirit and the bride say come. Which tells me that the return of Jesus, he, was go- he is going to return because we want him to. He's going to return because we are crying, come. Because we are connected to the end times narrative. Let me tell you the problem with my generation. The problem with my generation is we got most of our eschatology from Kirk Cameron and the Left Behind series. <laughs> Anybody been to Inner Healing because they thought they missed the rapture? I have... I woke up as a kid and I wanted water and my parents were not in the house. Well, my uncle had just bought a brand new Trans Am and he was there all in the front yard checking out this new car and I'm having anxiety in the house because I thought I missed the rapture. (laughs) But we have spent so much time being scared of the end times that we haven't let it provoke within us desire. You know, the last book of the Bible is titled uh, The Revelation of What You'll Miss. No. It's titled The Revelation of All the Evil That Will Take Place on the Earth. No. The last book in the Bible is titled The Revelation of Jesus Christ. 
It's the revelation of Jesus. If you want a revelation of Jesus, read the book about the revelation of Jesus. It's about the revelation of who he is. The opening paragraph to Revelation 1 says this. Blessed is the one who reads this book. Blessed is the one who reads these words. Blessed is the one who realizes that we're not just living in American Christianity. Got saved, got my ticket to heaven. All right, let's go on cruise control in the spirit the rest of my life. No, there is a end to this storyline. And it is our beloved bridegroom returning. And right now in the hour, there is an alarm saying, wake up to his return. What wakes up the 10 virgins? Which a footnote, we give the foolish virgins a, a bad rap in the story, but all 10 of them slept, it says. All 10 of them are asleep. Verse five, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Not just the fools, the wise too. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. So what woke them up? A cry, a cry. Let me tell you right now, globally, there is a Maranatha cry. It's not just in the West. It's also in the East. It's also happening in the church in Russia. It's also happening in Estonia. I've been there. I've seen it. Globally, Maranatha is coming up all over the nations. And let me tell you, all 10 of them slept. And what they heard, he's coming. He's coming. All of a sudden, what is that? Do you guys hear that? He's coming. He's coming and it wakes them up. And I heard the spirit of the Lord say this to me. He said, it's not bad that the church in the West has been asleep. What is bad is if they don't wake up. The problem is, is if you don't wake up. The problem is, is if you hear the Maranatha cry and you roll back over and you hit snooze. But the Maranatha cry is meant to wake up the sleeping bride. If you are at all familiar with Heidi Baker and you're following her in this hour, she has this prophetic storyline where the Lord is giving her a prophetic word for the church in the West. Wake up, sleeping beauty. Wake up, sleeping beauty. Wake up, sleeping beauty. That tells me that when the bride in the West wakes up, it will be beautiful. It will be beautiful. One of the things that has bothered me is the way the church has responded to political things in our nation. Because I, I look at the state of our nation and I don't point the finger and go, shame on you. I look at myself and I look at my family and I go, Lord, where we've partnered with the fear of man and we haven't allowed you to use us to herald the gospel outside the temple outside the church. Lord, break the fear of man off of us. Lord, connect us to the storyline that you're weaving right now on the earth. Because if the nation is sick, the answer is the church. It's the bride of Christ waking up. I believe it's an Ephesians 5.14 moment for the church in the West. It says this in Ephesians 5.14, wake, awake, awake, O sleeper. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. I believe when the church in the West begins to wake up, there will be a great shining through the church that will spark a revival like we've ever seen. It will truly usher in the greatest harvest of souls we've ever seen. But I was talking a little bit earlier about the underground church in Iran. 
But let me tell you the story that has shaken me to the core. Um, one of the main leaders in the underground church in Iran, which is the fastest growing church in the world, uh, he moved to the United States with his family. And they were here for a few months. And um, his wife comes back to the husband and she says, I want to go back to Iran. I want to go back to the underground church. And he looks at her and he says, why? We were persecuted there. Why? Every day could have been our last. Why? We didn't know if we were going to get to raise our kids there. Why would you want to go back? Here we're safe. And the wife looks back at the husband and says, because the church in America is asleep. And I'd rather be in persecution than fall asleep. puts a burden in me to step into the place of intercession and says, and say, Lord, wake up the church in the West. Wake us up to your Maranatha cry that you're coming. Lord, help us lean into the delay. Help us lean in and say, wake us up to the narrative of your second coming. It's the church's blessed hope. It's the blessed hope. I would love nothing more than to have a nice 401k, buy a good house, Send my kids to school and die living a happy life. It sounds awesome. Until I read the scriptures and realize there is a greater narrative on the earth. And I'm praying prayers like, Lord, don't let me get comfortable with the blessing and prosperity we have in America. Wake me up to what you're doing at the church in large. Let me be a front runner. Let me partner with you in intercession. If you're looking for a family to go to the nations, Lord, find one in us. If you're looking for a family to raise up people in the place of prayer, find one in us. How, Lord, can I partner with your end times narrative? How can I help wake up the church to wake up and usher in your return? Leaning into the delay. So it says, all of those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. So again, all 10 of them are going to wake up. And all 10 of them are going to start trimming their lamps. What is trimming their lamps? They're going to start making preparations. They're going to start cutting away what doesn't matter. All 10 of them are awake. Now, they're awake, but the delay is still, he's still tearing. He still hasn't come. They're awake, but they're still in the, in the delay. In verse 7, it says, verse 8, sorry, it says, And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No. Lest there should not be enough for us and for you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. The last point I want to give you today is to protect your first love. They look at the five foolish and they say, No. 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 You know much, how much heartache? you would avoid if you would learn no. No, I'm not gonna drink that. No, I'm not gonna talk that way. No, I'm not gonna watch that. No, I'm not gonna participate in that. No, I'm not gonna give into the bait to give my oil away. No. I wrote this down. Every yes to a small level of compromise is the giving of oil to something secondary, something worldly, something earthly, something not eternal.
gonna read that again. Every yes to a small level of compromise is the giving of oil to something secondary, something worldly, something earthly. I'll never forget when I got saved. I was a senior in high school. It was was May of my senior year, so I was getting ready to graduate, and I got saved. And uh, prior to getting saved, um, I had spent about a year um, addicted to marijuana. And, uh, you know, I would have never told you it was an addiction. I would have told you it was recreation, but it was an addiction. And it was a way I coped. It was a way that I would, um, I just was broken. And uh, I got saved. And the friend group that I ran with was not a good friend group for me to be around at the time of my salvation. I knew if I go hang out with these friends, I'm going to do some of the same things that I now have conviction for. Before I didn't have conviction, now I had conviction. I didn't know what to do with that conviction. So I go to my youth pastor and I say, hey, this is what happened. He says, I thought you were saved. And I was like, buddy, if you only knew how much sin behind the scenes I actually had. And uh, he said, well, why don't you come with me to El Salvador? So I go to El Salvador with him and I experience the power of God. I see someone get delivered of a demon. I see someone get healed of a crooked back. It was just crazy what I see. And, and God really solidifies in me um, just this, this, this longing to know him more. And so uh, I come back to the States and a, about a week or two later, I get invited to hang out with my friend group that is not saved. And uh, I'm like, yes, of course, I will come hang out with you. And so when I'm hanging out with them, uh, very quickly, here comes the substance. Very quickly, here comes the marijuana. And they start passing it around. And the whole time they're passing it around, my heart is just beating. You know, conviction is like gripping me. And I'm like, oh gosh, why did I come? And it finally gets to me and the girl that I had a crush on for years is like, you, here you go, you know, and you're like, temptation is knocking at my door. And, um, and I, remember, I remember looking at them and I'm saying, you know, I'm okay. I, I don't want any. And then they're like, what? Why? And I just start preaching the gospel, which I have no context for preaching the gospel at the same, this time. I'm just recently saved. I'm like, I gave my life to Jesus. And he touched my heart. And I, I could do those things before, but now I have a conviction because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I mean, he loves me and he loves you too. And I just start preaching the gospel. And afterwards I preach the gospel. They're looking at me like a deer in headlights. And they're like, okay, nobody gets saved. Nobody gets saved. And um, I end up leaving. It's super awkward. And I get in my car. And when I get in my car, um, it was for the first time I felt the delight of the Lord. I just felt so near to him. I felt like he was so near to me. And I felt his delight. And and it was the first time I realized the power of my no. The power of my no. And it was in that moment that I, I got a little more oil with him. It was in that moment that I protected my first love. And I really believe that I could have said yes in that moment. And I don't know if I would be standing in front of you here today, over a decade later. That no was so important to the formation of my faith. And what's really cool, just a side note, is in the last year, the Lord has reconnected me with some of those friends. And now I'm in the place where I can share the gospel with them from a conviction and a testimony of what he's done in my life. It's beautiful. But it says, they said no. You know, it looks different for me in this season. Um, I shared this last night. In this season... Uh, I'm not saying no to things like drugs and pornography like I was in a previous season. In this season, it's saying no to lesser lovers like Disney. 
if I can go there for a moment. And we're not a big family that's like, we hate Disney, boycott Disney. I actually love Disney World. I think it's so fire, so fun. We come back broke, but we had fun. Um, you know, I, my first encounter with the father's love was Mufasa. So, um, you know, don't email me if you, you know, don't like Disney. But, but I feel the conviction of the Lord for what am I putting in front of my family, if I'm honest. Uh, the other day, my, uh, we woke up and my, my two-year-old, uh, she goes, Daddy, can we watch a show? Yeah, we can watch a show. I want, I want Disney. And I just felt this tick of conviction inside of me. What are you putting in front of her? What are you putting in front of her? I'm not saying everything Disney is bad and wrong. I'm saying that I want to be intentional with the way I'm raising the next generation. I want to be intentional with what I'm putting in front of her. And so I just went on and started asking her about the Bible because I know Sarah Beth's been teaching her Bible verses throughout the week. Tell me about the verse mama taught you. And instantly she began to light up as she began to quote scripture to me. And I began to change the conversation from let's watch Disney to let's talk about the scripture. Tell me what did you learn about the scripture? Tell me about why, why God is light and in him there's no darkness. Tell me. And, and all of a sudden I'm having a conversation with a two-year-old. That is protecting the first love in which I want to be in our home as the priest of my home. The no's are important. And it's, it's worth noting that scripture says they said no. They said no. It doesn't say one of them said no, then another said no, then another said no. It said they said no. That way that we, we, lest there is not enough for you and for us. They said no. And I want to tell you this, if you're following Jesus alone, that's isolation. You need to get connected to the community. This is the, the sign you've been praying for, to get connected to the women's ministry, to the young adult ministry, to the youth group, to serve on the parking team, whatever it is, to get involved in the prayer set, but to get around a body of believers that are running after the same thing as you. If you're in this room on a Sunday morning, but Friday night you're going out with a bunch of unsaved people, listen, I'm all for evangelism. This is the hour where the lost are going to come to Jesus. But if you're being influenced by the lost more than your influence is from a body of believers, many will fall away in that hour. They said no. God is raising up a company and a remnant that in this hour are saying no more compromise. No more compromise. It's time for the church in the West to wake up. Joel, you guys want to come join me? I want to end with this. In Daniel 3, you have a decree that goes out. Uh, that all men must worship... This, it was a statue that Nebuchadnezzar had put forth. And he made it a law. We must worship this statue. There was a law for what they must worship that was contrary to what, what God of Israel was, had asked of them. And it says that everybody, the whole, the whole nation goes to worship. The whole nation says yes. And I think, Lord, how much is there to draw from the story and the current narrative of our hour of how many things are being put before us saying, this is what you must worship. This must be truth. This must be just the deception that's coming forth. But you have three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And they, to, they come together and together they say, no, 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 we're not going to worship that. And so Nebuchadnezzar calls him forward and he says, uh, if you do, I'll give you one more chance. If you do not worship this, um, then I'm going to throw you into the fire. Not only am I going to throw you into the fire, I'm going to make it seven times hotter. Um, and you are going to be burnt to a crisp. And they say, uh, no, we will not do this for our God will deliver us. And then you just see the, the solidity of their faith in them when they say, but if he doesn't, but if he doesn't, we're still not worshiping this. If he doesn't, praise be to God. If he doesn't, that is our Lord. So they go into the fire, and you all know the story. They come out. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar looks in, and he doesn't see three, but he sees four, and one is the likeness of the Son of God. And they come out, and they don't even smell like smoke, the Bible says. And in Matthew 3, I believe it's verse 29, it says that Nebuchadnezzar puts a decree out. So now there's a new law that goes forth that everybody in the nation must worship the God of the Hebrews. True revival hits the land. And it says every nation every people group and every language. It's multicultural, it's diverse. It's not just in one nation. It says the nation's true revival comes forth. Why? Because three people said, no, we will not say yes to compromise. They had oil. And I feel it's so important for us to prioritize oil, to prioritize intimacy, to prioritize the presence, to say, Jesus, truly in this hour, you are first. You're first and you're foremost. You're our leader and our God. Our God. You're our friend and our guide. You're our shepherd and our deliverer. You're the one in whom our, is our firm foundation and the anchor to our soul. And I feel a warning to not check out in the delay but to allow the Maranatha cry to wake you up. He's coming. He's coming. And it's the hour to protect first love for your family and your relationships. And I want to ask you to stand across the room. I'm just going to pray for a moment before we respond. Lord, I thank you that you've sounded an alarm to the church in the West. Wake up. Wake up, sleeping beauty. Wake up, sleeping beauty, Lord. And I just declare, would you search us and know us, Lord? And if there's any of us in this room that have been asleep, if there's any in the room that have been apathetic to your call, if there's any in the room, Lord, who we haven't prioritized your presence and intimacy with you, Lord, if there's any in this room that we've checked out in the delay, Lord, if there's any in this room that there's a measure of compromise, Lord, we say this is the hour where we're drawing a line in the sand. Lord, we're not turning over in our bed and hitting that snooze button, but Lord, we're going to allow the call to wake us up and trim our lamps, begin to prepare ourselves and say, God, connect me to your storyline. Connect me to what you're doing on the earth. Connect me to what you're saying. Give me ears to hear. Lord, you have permission to allow your spirit to groan through me, crying, come. Crying, come. Crying, come. I also feel like today the Lord wants to give a mantle of evangelism to some where you have had the fear of man. Just see the Lord clothing you with boldness from this place of waking up, going forth out of this place with a cry to the lost, saying he's coming and he loves you. He's coming and he loves you. 
So I thank you, Lord, for the hour that we're living in. Could it be, Lord, that truly everyone in this room, Lord, was born for such a time as this? You didn't miss the hour you were supposed to be raised in. You weren't actually supposed to be in the, in the 1900s or in the, in the medieval times. Or, or you were born for such a time as this. And Lord, where we have had fear around your return, where we have had fear around the end times, we say, Spirit of God, would you remove the spirit of fear? Give us the spirit of the Lord and connect us, Lord, to our blessed hope, which is your return this morning. Lord, to those that are watching online, to those that are in the overflow, Lord, we just say, would you give us a burden in the place of prayer? Connect us to intercession, Lord. Connect us to the Spirit, what the Spirit is doing in this hour. In 2 Timothy 3, in verse 5, it says, In those days, there will be people who have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Another way you could reword that is they will seem to have a respect for God, but there will be no working of the Spirit in them or through them. And we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to do a work in us and through us, Lord. Connect us to your power in this hour. Lord, no more sleeping beauty. But let us wake up. Let us wake up. Let us wake up. If you feel like, if, as I've been saying that, if you feel like, man, I have, I've been asleep, I've been bored, I've been apathetic, I've been checked out, I just want to invite you to put both your hands up across the room. Just put both your hands up. And we're going to go into worship, but I believe the Spirit is going to touch you here in this moment. Put both your hands up, Lord, and I just declare, Lord, we hear the alarm. We hear the alarm. We hear the alarm. We hear the alarm. Come on, allow the, the, the alarm to break the offense of what's happening in the Middle East off of us, Lord. And connect us to your storyline. Connect us to your heart, Lord. We don't want to be right. We want to be connected to you. We don't want to be right, Lord. We want to be connected to the vine, Lord. We're the branches. Wake us up, Jesus, in this hour. Wake us up, Lord. Baptize us in your spirit afresh. Lord, where we're not walking in the spirit of God, we confess, Lord, in this hour, we need to be connected to the dunamis power of the spirit, Lord. Break off the fear of man. Break off the apathy, Lord. Break off the boredom. Wake us up, Lord. Lord, don't let us be in the Bible Belt, Lord, but have no power. Don't let us be in Dallas, Lord, saying we're meeting in your name, but we leave and we're not transformed. Do it, God. Have your way. Have your way in this hour. Have your way in the church, Lord. Send us to the nations. Lord, send us to Oak Cliff. Send us to the Cedars. Lord, send us to the darkest places of the earth. Lord, let the prayer movement that's happened in this house grow legs and become a missions movement where evangelism sees, Lord, souls coming to the gospel because we're connected to your narrative and we're not asleep. Wake us up, Lord. begin to pray in the spirit let's just pray in the spirit come on just for a couple moments connect us to your storyline Oh, come on. Some of us are going to get freed from the fear of man today. Some of us are going to get purified from compromise today. Some of us are being reprioritized in this hour to say, Lord, you have preeminence. Lord, you have the first place. Lord, to you and you alone. Lord, you are our first love.
for Jesus, you're not just friend, but you're also Lord. Hey, la mama, mama, yes, shut up.